This is Erica Rhodes back with the Renar Voice for our third episode and my co-host Anna Berend. And we are welcoming Dr. Daniel this morning to learn lots more about group and many other interesting facts. So Anna, I'll let you go ahead and introduce Dr. Daniel. Thank you, Erica. Hi, everyone. And I need to tell you, I'm so excited because now that I see Erica, I realize I just met Erica in person a couple of weeks ago. So I feel like I meet with a friend now. So it's uh, a level of, of, of intimacy that's higher. So I'm just very thankful. She's amazing. That's definitely a blessing to meet in person and spend time together. Yes, yeah, so we've been meeting each other through Zoom for, I don't know, about two years. And it was such a beautiful hug that we gave <laughs> each other two weeks ago. So anyway, thank you so much, Dr. Daniel, for being here. You Welcome. always... I'm excited. Yes, I'm excited too. You um, inspired me since my first master's level class with you as group in group. It was a long, long time ago. And we're just very thankful that you agreed to be here with us. So I'm just going to say a little bit uh, about Dr. Daniel. She comes from a clinical practice background, specializing in group counseling and women's issues. Her research has centered on online group counseling dynamics and the development of cognitive complexity in, co in counseling students. She has presented at conferences on creative methods in group counseling cognitive complexity, development in counseling students, and counseling ethics. So thank you so much, Dr. Daniel, for being here. So we usually start by asking what, because I, from I remember you had a nursing background. So what led you to the, to the counseling profession? Yeah, you know, uh, it's not that big of a leap. Um, to move from nursing to counseling, a lot of nurses do it. You know, we, uh, our curriculum has, uh, you know, a, a psychiatric nursing course. We do, do clinical and, and uh, psychiatric settings. So, uh, you know, it, it's kind of natural. Um, but for me, I think uh, a couple of things. I had done uh, most of what I wanted to do in nursing. And, um I had a uh, a group experience uh, that was so uh, impactful to me that I knew I wanted to to uh, be able to uh, do that more and and to take uh, and to get training and uh, to move into making a difference in people's life in a different way. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's kind of, you know, what made me transition. It sounds like a pretty organic process. Yes. Mm -hmm. I like that. It's like it was a personal, impactful situation that, wow, that's what I'm going to do. Um, but it, in both ways, through nursing and mental health, it's like I'm going to bring people into wholeness and healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think nursing is, you know, I so thankful for my nursing background. You know, it was far more uh, of a medical model, but, you know, that really helped me in diagnosis and treatment planning mm -hmm. and medication management and understanding, 
uh, you know, how uh, certain diseases, physical diseases can actually impact uh, mental health. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it, it dovetailed very nicely. Yeah, I was thinking that because we are trained to conceptualize, right, with the bio, psycho, social, spiritual dimensions. And the bio, I usually go, okay, how's your sleep? How's your diet? How's your... But with somebody with your background, it goes way deeper than that. Yeah, it definitely, you know, I don't know if it goes deeper, but it just was uh, more, it, it just is helpful, very helpful. Uh, mm-hmm. To be able to uh, to use uh, that nursing knowledge in the in the uh, counseling setting, mm-hmm. and then you too mentioned the whole idea of the group experience that you had coming out of nursing, and how that that group made such a big difference. So I'm I'm going to guess that that's what led you into specializing into some group work. Yeah, you know, it started with uh, volunteering uh, in different. Uh, type of ministries that used group like uh, grief recovery and mm-hmm. uh, some other ministries. And the more I did group, uh, the more I loved it and uh, the more expertise I began to develop it in it, especially, you know, after I got my master's, uh, I had the opportunity to be involved in a uh, group, uh, a ministry that used group uh, in a therapeutic way for like 13 years. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, and that, you know, you just practice, practice, practice makes you better. So, um, yeah, I, I was really lucky in that way. Mm-hmm. So so tell us about, I think that would be great to dovetail towards group work. What, what do you see? Because I feel group can be so powerful, right? We are we are made in God's image. We are three in one, right? And, and, and. And I think it's a beautiful the inter, um, the universality that comes in group and the, the, the how you vicarious learning that comes and, and you feel validated, um, belonging. There's so much in there. So what do you see is really the, 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 the more the strengths of group, what, how it can really heal people. But also there are some pretty big um, risks. Yes. 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 Yeah, I think you have to be able to tolerate a lot more ambiguity Mm. and you have to be able uh, when it comes to group uh, because, you know, the minute you introduce more than one person, uh, you really can't control a lot of things. Uh, So you have to be uh, comfortable. You have to be able to manage your your own anxiety uh, Mm. as you watch people interact in an imperfect way because that's, you know, that's the thing with group. Uh, everybody comes and uh, as their truest self. And so you begin to see how people do relationship and how that works and how that doesn't work. And so, you know, it's a, it's a very imperfect, or I would say perfectly imperfect system group is. Um, And um, I think in a lot of ways, you know, uh, a woundedness occurs in relationship, and mm-hmm. so group is one of those things mm-hmm. that allows uh, relationship to occur and healing and uh, to mm-hmm. occur. Uh, so it it's a powerful force, but again, it has more risks. Uh, people can uh, harm each other. Uh, mm-hmm. 
you can't, you can't, of course, you can't uh, guarantee confidentiality. Um, So, you know, you just have to be comfortable with that. Uh, Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Sounds to me like a bit of a juggling act. It's definitely so. I had a student tell me once that leading group was like uh, individual on steroids. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. It kind of is, you know, it, it, you've got so many things going on at one time. But to me, uh, I love that part of it. I love it. And uh, I love being able to to uh, focus on the process of group, how we're relating to each other and what's happening between the words, uh, you know, and bringing that to light and, and uh, creating the meaning of all that. So I don't know, just... Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I I, I think you had had, um, given us some information on interpersonal neurobiology when we did our group work and how the the connections and the attachments and um, kind of people's pasts are played out in group as they interact with other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's really fascinating to me because uh, I'm a big fan of Yalom you know, who literally, you know, wrote the book on group psychotherapy. The guy is still alive, and uh, I think he's still practicing. Uh, you know, he's years, just years of experience. And he's the one that brought this theory, this interpersonal uh, theory of group, and, uh, you know, would talk about that was based basically a lot on his observations. And that's like his 11 therapeutic factors, Uh, are brilliant. And you see those in group. Well, now interpersonal neurobiology and uh, things coming from different uh, fields like medicine, et cetera, are beginning to reveal there's actually a biological basis for all of this. It's kind of the way we were created uh, to relate. Um, And, um, and we would say theologically, of course, we're, we're created in the image of God. God Mm -hmm. is a Trinity. He's, kind of the original first group you might say there you, you know go. and and uh and we are created for relationship like he relates mm-hmm. um and so it it to me just all sort of melds together uh and makes sense yeah. mm-hmm. i i love uh, dan siegel's definition of of the mind because you know so many people think the mind is just underneath your cranium but it, it says it is embodied and relational mm-hmm. right so it's just so amazing to 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 ponder on that like our mind is relational what does that mean and how mm-hmm. a, a better place like a setting like in a group that it, it will show how you relate with people like they say a group is a microcosm of what happens outside mm-hmm. Yalom says that all the time, right? Like that, you, how you're relating here is that, and even the sense that you are getting towards, that's what happens with their interpersonal relationship outside the group on their right. body. So, yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think, I, I think it's exciting that the brain is far more malleable, flexible, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and capable of changing even as we age uh, which is a different paradigm than years ago you know and um and the fact that uh relationship with you can actually help change me Mm -hmm. Uh, and we see that happen in group in the here and now we see people have these moments of aha and uh and and gain a different perspective about themselves or others in situations. Uh, 
that's it's really life changing. I think. I think it offers so much more hope than the old paradigm. Yes. yes. Oh, definitely. And what you said earlier, Dr. Daniel, like most people, you know, their their hurts, their wounds are interpersonally, and how beautiful to then provide a, a redemptive, uh, uh, restoring experience interpersonally mm -hmm. in a safe. Um, right. Place. And that's what I love about group. It it allows uh, more creativity to occur. I mean, there's so much that can be used in a creative way in group uh, that leads to healing. And, you know, like one of my favorites is the use of psychodrama, you know, mm -hmm. uh, where people have a chance to address issues in the here and now. And reach a, 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 a conclusion about things that are have been out there and uh, misconstrued, uh, you know, misunderstood, you know, just just out there unresolved. Uh, mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that's one of the things I love about group. You can use a, a, a number of different creative modalities. Mm -hmm. Mm. It just it just made me think of our little uh, experience at ACC. We went on an IMED at the Creativity Conference, and we did a little bit of psychodrama with Greek mythology. And so we really were yes. able to connect with incredible emotions and resonate with what was happening to these, you know, Greek players. And it was pretty it was pretty incredible. And it was a very moving emotional experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I recently uh, did a, a, a seminar uh, with one of our, uh, our other faculty members, and we decided to have in our in our drama to have people choose an object they wanted to play an object from the Bible. Mm. Man, that was that was an amazing. It was fun and and creative and uh, also impactful. You know, as people mm. begin to process, you know, why did I choose this crown of thorns or mm -hmm. why am I the well um you know or the staff of Moses you know mm -hmm. it's really really interesting that was so interesting I think I I attended something that you did similarly to that and what is it is it is it the subconscious how do can you explain to us how why things like that really work do we choose we don't think much about it it just comes and is it the subconscious that make you how how do you how do people get to those um uh, that awareness that that then at the end somehow makes sense you know i think a couple of things i i talk to my uh master of counseling students group counselors about is you know a couple of things i think happen in group that you can count on and one is uh i take myself wherever i go mm -hmm. um, and so Kind of the good news and the bad news. So I'm going to show <laughs> up at group. Uh, and uh -huh. the second thing uh, is I'm showing up with all the stuff that I'm carrying through the years that are still part of me or parts of me. And then the second thing uh, with with group is uh, we are all meaning making creations. Mm -hmm. I mean, we make meaning of everything. Yeah. Um, you know, I can have somebody sitting in group who looks down at their watch while somebody is, is sharing and the person that's sharing makes the meaning of he must be bored with what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Somebody else is sitting there going, oh, is it almost time for group to be over? You know, it's 
And so we're all sort of making meaning of what we're seeing, what's happening in our lives. And so uh, I think that has a lot to do with it. And that's why, you know, we make uh, meaning of stuff we choose. Uh, The choices we make are really about how we view ourselves and our world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can count on it. Right. Yeah, our mind's always making those little narratives. And the, you know, yes, and, they and are. That's, and that's another way we are, we are made, I believe, that that shows our, that we are our imago day, right? Mm-hmm. God is a God yes. of meaning and purpose. Yes. And, 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 but we don't know every, everything like he does. So, and, and we create our own meaning sometimes. Um, that it's not based on reality. And that's mm-hmm. why I have a, I read, um, I took a training once a while ago that says, Three B's. Think something better but believable. <laughs> better but believable about the situation. You know. You know. He looked at the watch because he needs to go to the use the the. the I don't know. <laughs> not like it's not about right. me. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. It's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned parts too. I think about the idea that all parts are welcome. And yes. so within group, if that group is welcoming, even of our maybe not so pretty parts, it helps us to love ourselves better as well. And so I think that's one of the things that Dr. Daniel, you help us to see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. So Dr. Daniel, I was so excited to ask you that question again, um, because when I was in your group class, you said it's the most beautiful monologue about how you uh, see pain, like the benefit and suffering. And I remember thinking, I wish I had recorded that. I wish I had recorded that. So here I am again, this is being recorded. I'm just so excited because it was something that happened because it was uh, just for the listeners, a little background. When we did um, the, at the time, uh, the group, the intensive for doctoral uh, class of group. It was an intensive one week. I guess I believe now it has changed. It was a one week that we actually experienced group. We, some of our students, and we went to some of our own issues, and and there was a lot of emotions, right? Even online, Dr. Daniel could create enough enough cohesiveness within us that we opened up and became vulnerable. And and then Dr. Daniel said, "Well, that." It depends of how you see pain. And then, and I was, it was just very meaningful to me. So how do you see pain and suffering, Dr. Daniel? Okay. (laughs) I have no idea what I said back then, but I'll tell you what I think now. Good. Um, You know, uh, I see pain uh, as first inevitable. Okay. Mm-hmm. We live in a fallen world. There's something wrong with everyone and everything. Mm-hmm. And so we will suffer. Okay. Uh, Jesus told us we would suffer. Uh, and that, uh, you know, we were to pick up our cross and, and bear it. Uh, so, you know, uh, you can't get through life without uh, horrible things happening, without a certain amount of trauma. You can't get through life without disappointment. You can't get through life without uh, injustice. And so, uh, you know, 
it reminds me of what Paul says, I think in Romans, you know, that all of creation groans. Yeah. Right. Uh, because we know we were created for something better than this. Mm-hmm. And and this is not home yet. So, uh, you know, I'm very much a pilgrim on the road, uh, bearing my cross, walking toward home. Right. Mm-hmm. But I also think as a clinician, pain also is not uh, unredemptive. Um, you know, I think in many ways, uh, God, uh, pain is God's calling card. Um, you know, it, none of us, I think, really seek God until the wheels have come off our buses, <laughs> right? And we can't make our world work anymore. Uh, that's uh, that's the value of pain and suffering. Makes me stop and say, I can't. God can, and I'm willing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, one of the things I really love about uh, Alan Jones, uh, one of the things he says in uh, Soul Making, The Desert Way of Spirituality, is we look, we weep, we live. Uh, meaning, uh, we finally see uh, the foolishness of how we've created uh, and it leads us to repentance, mm-hmm. uh, which leads us to redemption and life, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Just like the prodigal son who finally wakes up in the uh, pigsty and says, this is the stupidest thing I've ever done. <laughs> you know, uh, I want to go back. I want to go back to, to my father. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, we have to wake up to the pigsty of our lives and say, this is ridiculous what I've done. Um, I want to go back. So I think it's it's a two-edged sword, uh, something I bear, but also something that can be very redemptive for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you're saying, I'm thinking, you know, pain, can, pain I think of um, leprosy. Mm-hmm. Leprosy is not feeling pain, and then you hurt yourself as a result. It's a, it can be protective. Yeah. It shows us what's important. Right. Right. It's exactly. Uh, I was reading up years ago when I was still in nursing, I was reading an article uh, in the Dallas Morning News about a British couple who had a child was born, and this child could not feel physical pain. Mm. You know, and at first you go, well, that must be nice. But the problem they had was that, you know, he would break an arm and nobody mm-hmm. knew it until right. things started to swell. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have you have you realize, you know, the body is uh, it's an amazing thing. Physical pain is something that tells us something uh, isn't right. working. And, and this right. is what I tell my my group students uh, or all my students in my classes that, you know, uh, you know, pain is like the uh, the sign on the dashboard of your car that comes up, the light, you know, that's flashing. And you want to ignore it because, you know, I see dollar signs, <laughs> you know, stuff like yes. that. You know, and, oh, I don't want to I don't want to have a car problem right now. But you realize, you know, this is this is kind of uh, what feelings are for us. Uncomfortable yes. feelings tell us, hey, something matters under the hood. 
Mm-hmm. And I need to stop and pay attention to it. Yeah. It's telling me something. Mm-hmm. That's, that's interesting. I, I say the same thing to a lot of my clients. Like our emotions are our indicators and being curious. All right. Yes. So what's going on? What do I need to make everything run smoothly again? Is it just a, a fill up of my gas tank or is this, you know, an oil change or um, so that's that's great. Dr. Daniel being able to make that analogy. And so our our physical or emotional pain are indicators that, hey, let's be curious and figure out what's underneath so we can find a better a better way of living. And a lot of that is meant to lead us to God. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You had a client once who um, came in after she'd uh, been on vacation and uh, just fell in love with a waiter. Um, now, she was married. So she oh. came back from vacation very, very confused and disappointed. And so mm-hmm. we sat and talked about that pain. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the pain was that she falling emotionally connecting with this waiter uh, reminded her of what she did not have in her marriage mm-hmm. and that now she needed to do something different. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that's the value I think of it. Looking mm-hmm. at it, like, like you said, Erica, with curiosity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why? I'm like, what can I do about it? Right? What can I do about this? Mm-hmm. That that's propelling me to do something. Let's communicate with my husband. Let's um, mm-hmm. address that mm-hmm. one thing that I'm trying to avoid. That engine. Right. right exactly. Right. Yeah. Do it. You know. Now I can make a choice. Do I want to really enter the disappointment in my marriage and uh, mm-hmm. and have some honest conversations with my husband about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so many people, I think, take the easy way out and just give up and say, oh, well, this hurts. So I'm going to run away versus, OK, let's let's look at what's coming. You know, where this where's this pain coming from and let's fix it. Mm-hmm. And another route I could see is um, if if she had not had that experience with those feelings that, you know, ambivalence with the, the, she would never, she would live her life without the marriage that she deserved, right? So that was a good thing. That well, that and it's also, I think also it, it's a good thing for uh, the husband. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife is going to be honest mm-hmm. with me. It, we're going to have an honest, not a pretend relationship. Mm. Or a convenient relationship, or a mm. pleasant relationship, but we're going to have an authentic one, uh, even if it's messy. And and I then have uh, choices. Thank you for telling me that you're emotionally connected to a waiter. Now I get to choose, mm. and I have mm. to look at, gee, what what is it that's happening in our marriage that you're not happy here, mm-hmm. and what part do I have in that, and do do I want to work on it? You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do I want to jettison? Right. Mhm. Yeah. Beautiful. So let's. Um. Thank you. I love it. <laughs> well, so, I, I think um, on another topic you wanted to talk about was that yeah. cognitive complexity, and so I think that illustration that you gave of the woman in love with the waiter could be a very um, 
helpful way of thinking through that cognitive complexity and like all the different things that this woman kind of had to hold in her mind and maybe tease out. Yeah, yeah. Cognitive complexity implies that uh, I have the ability to see a situation from multiple perspectives uh, and, um, uh, you know, kind of uh, use that to uh, assist someone uh, in uh, in making decisions that, you know, uh, look at the that I'm comfortable enough with the ambiguity and the uncertainty. And mm -hmm. I think uh, that I can help my client see through these issues so they can make decisions that they can live with that leave them with a sense of integrity. Um, mm. Right. Yeah. So, you know, in your bio, and I read, you said you, you're interested in developing because I assume it's not a fixed trait, right? It's something you develop, you, 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 how, um, through your research, how do you find is the, the best way to do that, to, to, to walk alongside someone as they develop their cognitive complexity? Yeah, so, you know, um, I think cognitive complexity occurs not only within the counseling profession, but, you know, just in our everyday lives. You know, we mm -hmm. uh, just in terms of human development, we uh, move from having a very uh, black and white, yes, no, all or nothing type thinking mm -hmm. uh, to, to more of a yes and both and, you know, uh, gee, you know, there's no really uh, right way here type thing of thinking and being more increasingly comfortable with the ambiguity and the uncertainty. And mm -hmm. I think so when counseling students come in, um, you know, they come in with a certain amount of co cognitive complexity. And I expect and that if you come in at age 21, uh, your cognitive complexity is probably going to be less than if you come in at age 31 uh, because, uh, you've not had enough life experience to challenge the yes, no, black, white thinking. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, what I like to do with counseling students is, is what I call throwing pebbles in the pond and creating uh, ripples, you know, and challenging that thinking, mm -hmm. you know, and pointing out how uh, that sort of rigid black, white thinking, yes, no, uh, isn't going to work in mm -hmm. the situation that they're dealing with in their client's world. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, I think uh, developing assignments that require critical thinking and evaluation of one's values and belief systems um, is real important to developing mm -hmm. it. Um, and it's interesting because the research shows that within the counseling profession that students do develop cognitive complexity as they go mm -hmm. through the program with mm -hmm. it really spiking up when they reach practicum and internship makes mm -hmm. perfect sense. Now I'm dealing with real people and man, mm -hmm. it's not as black and white as I thought it was going to be. Right. Um, yeah. Very so, complex. <laughs> yeah. Very complex. And I better grow myself up pretty quick. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, mm -hmm. if I'm going to figure out how to, how to deal with all of this and be mm -hmm. helpful not harmful. Yeah. And I think once, you know, 
developing that ability makes me more multiculturally competent, mm-hmm. uh, more at ease in the counseling relationship and the uncertainty, more more able to be present with clients, mm-hmm. um, that type of thing, mm-hmm. more confident. Yeah. Sounds like that cognitive complexity is not only, you know, uh, it's a, a skill that you need to have as a as a clinician, but also as a human being yes. <laughs> for your own life, right? Mm-hmm. For your own life. And and Erica and I, um, you know, we, we, well, no, it wasn't Erica. I'm sorry, Erica. It was, was with another. It was another doc students that we talked a lot about andragogy, how how mm. adult learners bring their yes. own experiences into into the you know the the classroom, and that's that's what I heard you say. As the more you 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 live and you understand that it's not as cookie cutter, black and white. You know, mm. you you yeah. I think there's huge, yeah, there's huge, there's huge advantages to being able to hold that both and, yeah, and being comfortable with that, yes, yes, kind of being comfortable Mm -hmm. with being uncomfortable, right? As as it doesn't, it doesn't sit well with us. I think growing, you know, as we're growing up in high school and even you know undergrad, there's right answers, and so when master's level students come in, they want to know the right answer. And it's like with cognitive complexity, there are maybe many right answers. And so mm-hmm. kind of holding to the idea of we can we can look at many different ways and find right answers on a lot of different paths with helping our clients. And mm-hmm. I think there also the other thing is there's not just one choice. There are multiple choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think even at a um, a deeper level. Uh, beginning to see that uh, what what is a reality in life, and that is that more often than not, I have choices, but I don't like either one. Mm. Yes. So now, now, right? I wish there was. I wish the choice that I want was available to me, but so often in life, it's mm. not. And so now mm. I have to decide which pain will I bear, mm. because I can't have uh, the perfect world. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think back to your example about the woman who, you know, fell in love with the waiter. You know, she was going to experience pain, not, you know, being cut off with this relationship that gave her this emotional connection, or she's going to face pain as she works through the struggle with her marriage. So there's not, there's just not an easy answer. And that's kind of what counseling is. There just isn't an easy answer for our clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This th- this conversation is making me think of Dr. Volk that what he always says, we need to embrace our capacity for wrongness. <laughs> yeah. You know, like yeah. we, it, it, the idea of that you have it right, it's, it, it borderlines a little bit of pride and arrogance, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and I think the yeah, curiosity yeah. and openness. Mm, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. A little humility goes a long way. Helping me as a counselor. So, yeah. And I imagine with group work, that's super helpful to have that cognitive complexity because you've got maybe eight different people with eight different um, understandings of a situation. And so, as we work in that group, you can kind of bring forth 
each person's understanding and hold them all to be okay. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So developing cognitive complexity. Let me see if I, you just, you need to be in touch with your life uh, ambigu- ambiguity. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes. And, and I develop by just being open, humble, um, be in touch with my values. Yeah. Re- yeah. Know? Examining my values and my own beliefs. And mm-hmm. um, I think that's, that's all important to, uh, to do, uh, to provide for counseling students to do, uh, like I said, assignments and exercises that, that stretch them and mm-hmm. cause the pond to ripple and for them to have to re-examine what they think and, and believe and value. That's especially important, I believe, in, in a Christian institution. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in many ways, you know, Jesus is a good example of cognitive complexity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, he was able to question the black and white, yes, no, all or nothing thinking mm-hmm. and bring out the ambiguity and the uncertainty and uh, uh, embrace people of different uh, belief systems and cultures and uh, values than his own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's beautiful. May we do more of that. <laughs> yeah, especially these days. May we do more than the, of that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yes, I almost feel like, okay, Lord, help us. Like, just <laughs> help us be more like you. Oh. Yeah, to see the dignity in each human being in front of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things I love about group work and and one of the things I talk about at the beginning of uh, doing group, you know, that this is going to be a place where uh, we're going to create this space where you can have your values and beliefs and you don't have to change them for me. Mm. Mm. What a a beautiful... um, safe and uh, holding space that is then yeah holding space that's a good word Mm. Mm -hmm. i think one of the one of the topics that we wanted to cover was kind of what our group work strengths and and maybe some challenges and i think you've already highlighted a number of them um maybe elaborate a little bit more on on some of the strengths and challenges i think um I love group uh, because, uh, as you know, um, you have uh, people coming from different perspectives and uh, different life experiences. Yet, when you really begin to look beyond the surface of the issues, you see that uh, we very much have a number of existential things in common, uh, such as none of us can get through life without suffering. Mm-hmm. All of us have to face death and injustice and disappointment. Uh, and all these universal themes come out in group. Uh, and as a result, I feel less alone. 
uh, I feel more understood. So I think that's another advantage of group. It, it provides a supportive uh, community for me to to be uh, and to uh, examine those disappointments and injustices, et cetera. Um, so it also is a place where I can learn from others. You know, mm-hmm. they're bringing their experiences and their problem solving skills and uh, I often can gain insight just by listening. You'll see that happen in group where, you know, somebody is sharing over here and somebody over here is having a ha-ha moment. You know, wow. I never looked at it that way or, I, you know, that type thing. And so, uh, you know, I love the power of that. Um, I think that the disadvantages of group is that you always have to be uh, be. Uh, cognizant of making sure that people aren't harmed by the process of group because mm-hmm. it is very emotional and positive mm-hmm. and powerful at times uh and so you know you kind of have to monitor that you know and screen i think screening is mm-hmm. really important and screening is ongoing mm-hmm. uh, and and so i have to uh you know really watch my group and each individual member uh mm-hmm. that's really important yeah, and I remember from our class receiving the empathy after you become so vulnerable. It's very healing. Yeah. Um, so make sure that happens, right? Like, um, yeah, you know, instead it of takes somebody lot, else hijacking. Right. It takes a lot of, uh, I think, skill to uh, do what Yalom talks about. That's illuminate right now what's happening between and among us, and mm-hmm. use that uh, to. Uh, start that feedback loop mm-hmm. that can lead to healing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I had one time I had uh, a woman in group who was older uh, and uh, she was, uh, she had been married and went through a divorce and she was dealing with feeling like that whole marriage and divorce thing had really harmed her daughter. And, mm-hmm. uh, really felt a lot of guilt uh, mm. about it, having a hard time letting herself off the hook. And and I noticed as I was sitting there, that sitting next to her was a younger woman, looked like she was in her 20s. And so I thought, huh, why don't I just eliminate this? And so uh, I turned to that young woman. And I said, you know, uh, you're listening to her as a mother talk about her concerns of, of harming her daughter. If you were her daughter, what would you say? Because she's somebody's daughter, right? Mm-hmm. And so she said, yeah, I've been listening. And, and um, you know, I would say that I really think you did the best you could with what you had at the time. Oh. And, oh. man, I'll tell you, that just started a conversation, yeah, between the two of them where you could actually see the older woman let herself off the hook. Mm-hmm. Maybe my daughter, we could have this conversation. Right. She would say. You know, that's beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's one of the things I love about the power of group and and focusing on the process mm-hmm. and the here and now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you said process and here and now a number of times, so that's very important. Group, <laughs> I just very right. yeah, it's good. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking too that that idea of process is so important to to notice what is happening between the people because that's where the healing comes that 
they can see themselves and others or they can see that you know what is common to man <laughs> you know that that pain and suffering we talked about earlier you know being in isolation we feel alone and when we can share what's happening to us it not only helps us it helps other people so that's that's so powerful mhm mhm well i am getting excited to maybe do some groups <laughs> Anyway, so Dr. Daniel, it's been a, a pleasure and we are getting close to Yes, thank you so much. Now, the, the questions that we usually and actually we start, we're going to start doing that, uh, that question to everyone ending is besides the Bible, if you could recommend a book that changed you, what would it be? And then your final words, your pearls of wisdom um, to those who are listening. Okay. Well, you know, the first one's a hard question there. You know, there are, uh, I know I would say, I know I have favorite writers that mm. soothe my soul and speak to me. And one of them is Alan Jones, mm. um, soul making, uh, the desert way of spirituality and anything else he writes. Uh, another is, uh, Friedrich Buechner, uh, telling secrets. I just love his style of writing. It's just so poetic. Um, so, you know, those are a couple of writers that that I really, really uh, enjoy and would recommend. Um, and thank you so for Alan sharing. Jones. Yeah, thank you. Alan Jones and Friedrich, uh, what was the Bigner? last name? Bigner, B-U-E. C-H-N-E-R-B-U-E, I think that's how you spell it. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And then any any last pearls of wisdom oh, yeah. for our, our listeners, both masters and doctoral students here at Liberty? Uh, there's two things I always tell my, my students. Uh, the first is uh, there are two rules in counseling. The, the general rule in counseling is take care of yourself. So you can take care of others. Yes. This is a profession with a high burnout rate, and there's a good reason for that. Mm -hmm. And so you really, you really got to learn how to take care of yourself. And then I always tell my group students, you know, never sacrifice your group for one person. That's the mm -hmm. cardinal rule. Mm -hmm. um, so those are the two pearls I leave with them. <laughs> That's about all I have. Very, no, very important. It. Very important wisdom. So thank you so much, Dr. Daniel. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And I think you've had more than a few pearls of wisdom for us today. Yes. So I'm I'm excited to share this with our listeners. And um, I think Anna mentioned in other broadcasts, but we do want to hear back from people who are listening and let us know, you know, how, how we can be helpful. What are the issues that you guys want to hear about? Maybe a professor like Anna was um, had this memorable experience with you, Dr. Daniel, and I know there's other students who have professors who have been meaningful that they would love to hear more about. So thank you so much, and um, we're going to sign off. Take care. Thank All you, right. everyone. Thanks. Thank, thank you, you, Dr. Daniel and Erica. You're welcome.